Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul declared, quote, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Do you have an urgency in your heart for the salvation of those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you have sorrow or anguish for lost souls? Let's open our Bible now to Romans chapter 9 that we might see and understand the incredible and loving heart in the Apostle Paul. Well, good morning and welcome to uh, another teaching. It's a Tuesday morning here in Texas and just a it's a good day to be talking about Jesus, to be loving on Jesus. Every day is a good day for us to be, to be growing to know Jesus better, to be growing to, to love him, to be growing to know his love for us, and to be growing to, to obey him more, to be like him more. Um, Again, I say it every time, but it cannot be said enough, right, Lauren, my sweet daughter, Lauren? Uh, there's nothing in our lives that will benefit us more, and there's nothing in our lives that is of greater responsibility to us than, than walking with Jesus, being devoted to Jesus more and more and more. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Whew. All right, so we finished by the mercy of by the mercy of Jesus, we finished the, uh, the first eight chapters of Romans. I don't know how many teachings it is, um, maybe, maybe 30. Um, I'm not sure exactly, but um, today we're going to begin Romans 9. I don't know how far we'll get. Um, and so there are eight more chapters of Romans. There are 16 chapters in this book. And as we, as we turn over to Romans 9, this is... Um, very possibly the most difficult chapter in the Bible, the most difficult chapter in all the Bible to really understand, um, to appropriate, and to really wrap our head, head around, okay? Um, Romans 9 is uh, almost in itself responsible for some immense systematics, some, some immense frameworks, um, uh, reform theology and Calvinism um, are built on the teachings of Romans 9. Um, and, and really, I think they would admit it that if there were no Romans 9, there would be no Calvinism. There would be no reform theology. But there is a Romans 9. And Romans 9 says what it says, okay? Romans 9 is just as important a chapter as John 3, that has John 3, 16, or Romans 8, which is what we had just finished, which is maybe the most profound chapter in all the Bible. So uh, I've said this before, at Kingdom Discipleship, our heart is to take the scripture on its face wherever possible, to let the word of God speak and to get out of its way and to interpret it and teach it accordingly as much as possible. Now, there are some difficult scriptures in the Bible. There are some difficult chapters, and there literally is no more difficult chapter 
in all the scriptures, okay, the 1100 plus chapters in the scriptures, and this one is probably the most difficult because of its ramifications um, and just because of the force of the chapter. And again, the ramifications of what it's saying. And we're going to, you know, Lord willing, we're going to get into that and we're going to unpack it. Um, Paul is coming off Romans 8 and he finished in Romans 8 by, by, by proclaiming all that's been done for us in Christ. He's done that for the first eight chapters, but how we are, we are, we, we are secure in Christ, that nothing can separate us, that we were, that we were predestined, that we were called, we were justified, we were glorified, that 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 everything has been done for us has been provided for us and you know uh with us in Christ we're secure um as we turn over into Romans 9 now Romans 9 10 and 11 Paul is going to going to transition to to the subject of Israel if if everything has been done for us in Christ if the word of God has been fulfilled in Christ, if all the promises of God are ours in Jesus Christ, if nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord, as Paul has eloquently ended the last chapter in saying, and if if all the promises that we have in Jesus Christ are to give us absolute security, well, then the natural question really could arise, well, what happened to Israel? Why is it that not only in Paul's day, but even today, the vast majority of Jewish people, the vast majority of the, the Hebrews, the Jews, have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior when the whole Old Testament, right, you know, just unpacks, um, you know, God choosing this nation of Israel you know, for his people. And then, you know, it's a whole, the whole Old Testament is about these people failing to live up to the standard of God. And it points to the need of a savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who himself, according to his humanity, was Jewish, right? Um, and so in 9, 10, and 11, Paul's now going to deal with Israel and, and the ramifications of Israel. Okay, so if Jesus Christ is everything, then, 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 then how is it that the vast majority of Jewish people, again, not only in Paul's day, but today have rejected Jesus? And this is, this is paramount because it's, it's essential that we understand that all 8 billion people in the world, regardless of gender, man or woman, regardless of race, right? Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, um, you know, uh, whatever race you are, regardless of ethnicity, okay? Every single human being needs Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, the salvation of their soul, deliverance from the wrath of God our Father, and deliverance from eternal hell, and to ultimately go to heaven when we die. OK, it, it doesn't matter whether whether you're Jewish, whether you're Polish, um, whether you're Asian, um, whether you're African, um, whether you're Mexican, every single one of us, man and woman, needs Jesus Christ to avoid an eternity in hell 
separated from our heavenly father. And so Paul is now, after he has reassured us so immensely in the love of Christ, he's going to deal with the conversation now of Israel in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Um, but it certainly has application to us, okay? Um, and so again, we're going we're gonna to do our best to let the scripture speak. We have to allow the scripture to speak, right, Pop? We have to allow it to speak when we enjoy what it says and even when we don't, okay? Our job is to simply teach the word of God. First of all, to read, to study, to meditate on the word of God, to obey the word of God, and then where the Lord has give us, give, given us the privilege to teach the word of God in an, in an unbiased way. This is extremely hard to do. None of us can do it well, okay? Never been someone that's done it well. Um, the privilege of teaching the word of God is, is a mercy to us. And after the first eight chapters of Romans, I feel like I could teach it over again and over again and over again and over again and not really begin to exhaust all that could be taught there. OK, there's I believe there's immensely more than whatever the 30 teachings are in the first eight chapters of Romans. Um, but we, we want to do our best to let the word of God speak and to get out of its way. Our job is to make our beliefs fit the word of God. Our job is to make our life fit the word of God. We're, we're called to adjust whatever we believe and make it match what the word of God says. Um, we are called to adjust whatever our actions and behavior is. We're called to change that to whatever the scripture says, right? Simply put, we're called to make our beliefs in life fit the Bible, right, Melanie? We're, we're not called to make the Bible fit what we want to believe and how we want to live. And so we're going to get into that, okay? Wow. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace, your love on our lives, Father. We thank you for this incredible book of Romans, Father. We thank you, Lord, for this chapter nine. Father, frankly, I, I, I clearly don't understand, um, you know, this chapter and, you know, Lord, just the force of the chapter, um, what seems to be just a, uh, you know, something that's unfair, although we know it's not unfair, Lord. Um, but Father, I do ask you to open our eyes to this chapter. By your mercy, Father, I ask you to, to give us understanding here in Romans 9. But Father, above all, we just thank you for Jesus our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you today. We thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. We thank you for dying a torturous death on our behalf and in our place that, that we should have died, that certainly I should have died. And we thank you that you're alive and risen today, Lord Jesus, and we worship you, our King our master, our savior, our God. Holy Spirit, we do ask you to, to open this word to us now. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Help us to understand this, this Romans chapter nine, Holy Spirit. Give us hearts that understand, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Okay. 
All right, so I'm just going to read through, uh, I don't know, I think I'll probably hopefully get through probably a verse five. This may be a five chapter or a five teaching chapter. I'm not sure how much it'll be. Um, but it's, uh, again, these first five verses, you know, are, are, are not so difficult. It's going to be what's what's after that that really gets into, uh, you know, really trying to unpack election and predestination and God's choosing those who are going to be saved. Um, and this chapter is going to deal with that in, a, in an extremely forward and forceful and seemingly absolute fashion. Um, but it on its face, it seems to contradict literally dozens of other scriptures or hundreds of other scriptures. And so the alternative to just laboring to take the Bible on its face is when different scholars or theologians will have what's called a systematic or a framework through which they interpret all the scriptures. Um, now, the problem with that is that that's not how the Bible was intended. Um, and not everyone would agree with this, but the Bible was intended. The 66 books of the Bible were given to us, right, Rap? So that we could simply read the word of God and, and understand what it says on its face. We shouldn't have to do immense gymnastics to make the Bible fit some preconceived framework or systematic um, preconceived system for understanding the Bible. And when, when we see everything through a system, it's hard to let the Bible just sit on its face. I'll give you an example. Romans 2.11 says, for God does not show favoritism. Six words, right? They're not complicated. Based on any understanding of how we understand language, okay, um, the meaning is plain. It's unambiguous. We shouldn't have to jump through dozens of hoops related to original language, related to context, related to culture, related to his, to, uh, to, to audience, re related to authorship. All of these things are certainly helpful in understanding the word of God. But at the bottom of it all, the word of God ultimately means what it says. So we don't need a framework or we shouldn't need a framework to understand Romans 2.11, for God does not show favoritism. It seems to make perfect sense. It's certainly intuitive, right? It makes sense, right? To all of us, of course not, right? God, he orders us in several places. He calls it sin when we show favoritism, right? In James 2, um, you know, we sin when we show favoritism. So it, it wouldn't make sense that it would be okay for God to show favoritism. But when we, when we don't want to take the scripture at face value, we, again, we can't just take that simple verse, Romans 2.11, for God does not show favoritism. Uh, you know, even the scholars that put the verses in the Bible around 500 years ago, right? Um, you know, the, the scribes, right? When they, the, 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 the letters didn't have verses in them, they broke that out as a separate scripture because it says what it says. It means what it means. It means what it says. It is what it is, for God does not show favoritism. 
But again, when you have a systematic, you can't simply take scripture on its face value. Okay. There, there are systematics. Okay. There is a belief here in Romans nine that again, Romans nine is not for us. There's a belief that Romans nine, um, again, is, is simply referencing Israel, um, and its condition. And Paul is dealing with the state of Israel here and it doesn't have application to us. And again, at kingdom discipleship, that's not how we look to read the Bible. Okay, we look that that any normal person who's able to pick up the Bible and read the Bible and for the most part just intuitively is trying to understand what it says, that's how we're trying to interpret it. And I'm laboring to make this point because again, we're going to be dealing with very difficult things in this chapter, Nathan, okay? Um so again, with all that groundwork laid there, and I'm sorry, it was probably 15 minutes um for Romans 9, but here we go, verse 1. Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. All right, that verse five is one of the strongest verses in the Bible, if not the strongest verse, that Jesus is God, almighty God. Remember, we have a triune God, one being, right? Three separate individual distinct persons. Okay, um, and God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit are all God. They're all all powerful, omnipotent means they can do anything. They're all omniscient. That means they each know everything. And when you know everything, you can't learn anything, right? May makes sense, right, Scott? When you know everything, that means you're incapable of learning. Quite a concept, right? Okay, so they're omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent, which means they're everywhere, at all time, outside of time. Um, three words um, that exist only to, to describe our triune God. And Jesus is God, okay? Uh, our God loved us so much that he became a human man on our behalf, our God entered this world on our behalf, God the Son Jesus, took on humanity and lived the perfect life on our behalf and in our place, died a torturous death on our behalf and in our place, and was raised from the dead. And it's only by trusting and relying and clinging to him, right, Kristen, for the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul, deliverance from eternal hell and to go to heaven when we die, that we can be saved. Wow. Look how Paul uh, starts this, this, uh, this chapter. And this is very interesting when it comes, and we're going to get into the ramifications of this on, uh, on, again, the reformers or what we call reform theology or Calvinism. Um, I've been studying this chapter for, I don't know, 25 years. I've been studying this doctrine of predestination and election for around 25 years. Um, 
I have listened to the, the, the scholars and read really the foremost scholars, you know, on the subject. And as candid as I can be, I'm, I'm not certain. OK, I, I, I don't know. Um, in my heart, I hope reform theology is not true um, because I, I want to believe that 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 every single human being has an opportunity to be saved. I want to believe that God has made provision in Christ, that our Father has made provision in Christ for the whole world. So we're, we're gonna. There's there's really only two quote systematics. There are a half dozen of them, but the vast majority of all Christians in the world, okay, um, believe that predestination and yes, election is a reality. That's, that's one thing we have to deal with. Someone says, I don't believe in predestination. You cannot not believe in it because the scripture clearly says that we were predestined, that we were chosen, that those who would be saved were elect before the world was created. Okay, so predestination and election are biblical facts. Now, why God predestined those to be saved, why he elected the particular ones for salvation to know him in Jesus Christ. That's what the entire, you know, debate is around is what was the reasoning um, for our election. And again, the two, the two, you know, the two most prominent arguments are what's called provisionism, which again, the 99% of all Christians could understand, could relate to provisionism and could, you know, could see that it's reasonable. Um, Reformed theology or Calvinism is a is a smaller, you know, it's about one and a half percent of the Christian, you know, population. Um, and, uh, you know, because of particularly because of this chapter, but also, you know, various verses in John and throughout the Old Testament um, and in certainly other parts of the Bible, you know, they come to to a different uh, a different interpretation. And, and again, I want to say that. Reformed theology may be correct. Calvinism may be correct. Again, I've studied it for, for 25 years. I've studied it with some depth. I've actually studied it a lot, right? And, and again, I'm, um, I don't want to overstate it. Um, and we're going to get into these things. So, but Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Now, he's about to say some things here particularly in the next two verses that are so weighty, so overwhelming, so just so powerful, Nathan, that he has to say this. And he gives, you know, why he has to say any of this is the question. But instead of just saying, I speak the truth, he gives three forceful, you know, kind of backups. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. That, that's a heavy statement. If, you're, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe what the Bible is teaching in Romans 8, then, then you believe that this man, Paul, is utterly and completely delusional. Yet when you read it, obviously not one thing comes off in this letter and this letter to the book of Romans is so profound, it, it, it really, it, it, it has on it every aspect of the word of God. It has an immense intellect and it 
and it has no aspects of delusion. But when Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. He's saying what I'm about to say to you is absolutely true. As sure as I'm in Christ, Christ is in me and Jesus Christ is real and is the savior of the world. I am speaking the truth in Christ in what I'm about to say. I am not lying. And then he, then he adds, my conscience confirms it. Okay. He knows he's speaking the truth because he's, he's got a sensitive conscience and his conscience is confirmed in the Holy Spirit. He knows that the Spirit of God is confirming that what he's saying is true. And what is he saying? Verse two, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Now, why does he have this? This is quite a verse. And, and, and I believe this is a problem, okay, for the reformed view, okay? Um, and, and again, in fairness, I'm going to bring up several problems to the re reform view. I'm going to bring up some problems to the provisionist view. And as I've said, 99% um, of all the Bible is clear. It's unambiguous, okay? Now, predestination and election are not essential doctrines by any means, okay? They're secondary doctrines. What does secondary mean? It means they're not essential for you to have your sins forgiven, for you to receive salvation, and to go to heaven when you die, okay? Um, but they are important doctrines for us to understand, for us to grow and mature as disciples of Jesus Christ and in our relationship with Jesus. But Paul here says that he's speaking the truth. He's not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Now just step back and think of those words, Corinne. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What is just, it, he never stops having anguish. For what? Verse three, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. The people of Israel, verse four, theirs is the adoption as sons. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law the temple worship and the promises. Verse five, theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. Why does Paul have this great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart? It's because almost all Israel has rejected Christ. But here's what's important for you to understand. The Jews of Paul's day, the religious leaders, the pastors, the elders of, G of Paul's day, so to speak, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, um, the religious experts of Paul's day persecuted him immensely. They tried to kill him. They tried to do all they could to stop him from teaching about Jesus. And yet he still says, I have this great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What does this mean? For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. This is an utterly remarkable statement. And again, we're going we're gonna to keep referring back to this when dealing with uh, the two different systematics that we're going to study in provisionism and in uh, Reformed theology or Calvinism. Um, but Paul has this immense love that's just 
utterly beyond our understanding. It's similar to what Moses wrote in Exodus uh, 32, um, verses like 30 and 31, where the people of Israel had sinned so badly. And, and Moses it confronts them on their sin. Then he goes before the Lord and says, you know what? Um, forgive their sin or blot my name out of your book. All right. And uh, basically, Paul and Moses here are are saying something so profound. It's a degree of love that I cannot recognize. I've never seen or heard of anyone who has this kind of love. The, the depth of love in Paul and in Moses for their people is infinitely beyond anyone I've ever heard of beside these two men. We're not talking about Jesus. Jesus is God. Okay, I'm talking about any Christian I've ever heard of, any Christian I've ever known, certainly any pastor, any scholar, any theologian, myself. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. Paul, if he could, now he can't. Paul knows it doesn't work this way. But if he could, he would, he would, he would condemn himself to hell if it meant the salvation, not of his children, not of his mother, not of his father, but of his own people, the people of Israel. And Moses was saying the same thing in Exodus 32, that, that he, he would take the punishment for the sins of Israel. Now, the Lord's going to go on and tell Moses, if you keep reading, you'll see the scripture at the bottom of the screen, that, that you know each person's going to be responsible for their own sin, and he'll handle that. Um, and ultimately, Moses couldn't stand in the way. Paul couldn't stand in the place. Only Jesus, only our God could stand in our place and take that punishment, which is, which is profound. But, but Paul has this immense love, this immense love that we certainly do not see. I don't see in my own heart, nor, has, nor can anyone say that they have seen it at this level, right? It's for his own people, the people of Israel, the people that persecuted him. And he says theirs is the adoption as sons. And he goes through all that was promised them in the Old Testament. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the covenant with Abraham and with Moses, the receiving of the law, right? The temple worship, all the promises that were made to them. Theirs are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. Jesus was Jewish, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. I mean, wow. Okay, well, we're going to wrap up there. And uh, again, this, this chapter is going to be big. Um, it's going to be overwhelming. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace in, in our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us today to speak the truth in Christ. Forgive us where we have exaggerated or embellished or lied. Help us to not lie. And I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus, that our conscience would, our conscience would confirm, like in Paul, the truth of what we speak in the Holy Spirit. I do ask you to give us more, more sorrow and anguish for those who don't know you, Lord, for those who are not saved, for those who have not received Jesus as, as their Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace. And we do pray that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, would come to receive you as their only Lord and Savior. 
Holy Spirit, we commit this into your hands now. We ask you to seal this message to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.